computer is very slow. <laughs> Is there also a buzzing in the background for you on the audio? No, there's no buzzing. Okay, I can hear you just fine though, so that's that's fine. All right. Um, yes, based upon your questions about simplicity, um, there there are at least two places that I know of to where the Buddha talks about that it's not that that the teachings of the Buddha are so profound and so deep that in, uh, uh, and so on, on one occasion he chastised um, Ananda because Ananda uh, had kind of announced that he really understood uh, the teachings of the Buddha, most specifically through Paticca Samuppada. And yet at that time, uh, and, and for quite a long time after that, in fact, Ananda was known to have continued to have magical beliefs right up almost to the time of the Buddha's death. Since Ananda is saying that he knows Paticca Samuppada, that's almost a joke to the Buddha. And so that's when he told him that it was profound, that it was deep. Okay, on another occasion, uh, in fact, right after the time of uh, the awakening under the Bodhi tree, the Buddha said, why bother to teach this? Because no one will understand it. It's too deep. It's too profound. Okay. okay. I'm sure there are other references to that. And that... Um, actually, part of the joy of the Dhamma is learning to put things together so that you know that you know that this is correct and it's part of the Dhamma and fits in with the overall package. One gains great joy through that. To understand or to, to absolutely know without any shred of a doubt that we know for sure how things really are because what the Buddha taught about how things really are and what we can actually gather over many, many episodes of experience over and over and over again that continues to prove it right without ever any evidence of it being different. And in that gains a joy, almost a, uh, the, the winning of the Dhamma as it were okay so this is what i would like to start introducing to you that whole concept of the whole feeling that yes you can get this even though it is quite profound we can we can get it we can um uh see the things from various angles and come and put it all together and when we do get it all together, then it winds up being very simple again. And where is that simplicity? In the in also the fact that the Buddha says that he only teaches one thing. He only teaches one thing, dukkha, dukkha naroda. That's the only thing that he teaches, just one little thing. Which is basically understand suffering or understand dissatisfaction enough and where it comes from so that you can get yourself right out of it. And that now we have this set of skills to do that. Okay, so that's the whole point then. And so that point of then gladdening the mind is that moving from being in a state of dissatisfaction into the state of being in the state of satisfaction. And there are many, many different words we can use to describe it. But, and in fact, it may be a conglomerate of different experiences, but all of these experiences have the quality of satisfaction, safety, security. Okay, so one of the words we could look for, instead of gladden the mind, would be just to relax, 
or even just just take a load off. I like the New York Monsters version. They have a version too, you know. Forget about it. <laughs> okay, that's and, okay. and and we could do that one. I mean, that's exactly the same as "Aha, I see you, Mara." Yeah. It's just forget about it. That's funny. Not just don't worry about it. Don't worry about it is only half sauce. <laughs> it's only halfway there. No, forget about it. Let it go. Complete relinquishment. Dropping it away. Okay. Immediately. In the sense that the gladdening the mind is, in fact, letting it go or forgetting about it or uh, catching that Mara and changing one's... Um, mental state by choice taking control of the mind and deciding to put in that mind what you want in that mind and then so in terms of uh seated meditation i i do this in tandem with what with remembering my breath and um trying to make sure i'm in the present moment i know it's, it seems like it's all the same thing but it's also slightly different so Right. Well, um, let us let us start from the very beginning on this with Anapanasati. Back before the time of the Buddha, there were meditations that, in fact, the Buddha had jhana nailed when he was a teenager, and he had the four jhanas and the higher stuff done while he was out trouncing around for six years. Okay. And that he came to understand that the jhanas in and of themselves were not the path. They were an, almost an irrelevant side trip. And I said almost. It's because the development of the skills that one needs to do jhana, those same skills become quite handy when it comes to uh, doing the real work of liberation. I see. Now, unfortunately, the Western mind has gotten stuck kind of in the idea that they've got to go do the jhanas first, and the Buddha's already from the get-go recommending, no, don't do that. That there is a sweet spot. Okay? But in the time of the Buddha before that, the kind of meditations they were having also had something else entirely different, and that is, is that all the objects of the meditation were outside objects. One of them was a casino, and there are two kinds of casinos, one made out of leaves and the other one made out of mud pie. And the mud pie will then dry. And so the, uh, the casino watcher will look at this uh, uh, casino um, and then close his eyes and try to reproduce it. They okay. still do that with mandala meditation in Tibet. Exactly the same process of taking an object, looking at it, closing your eyes, and recreating that object with all of its microscopic detail. So if one is constructed with leaves and you begin to memorize all the veins and all of the ways the leaves are connected together so that you've got a perfect image of it, and you, you open your eyes and you stare at it and you close your eyes and you try to memorize it and you open your eyes and again back and forth, over a long period of time. Okay, this, this is normally called an earth meditation for the obvious reason of the, uh, of the mud pie. The next one is uh, uh, the fire meditation, which tends to be the one that brings people into jhana the fastest. Because, and in fact, uh, uh, the fires themselves somehow are um, uh, inviting. That kids around the campfire, they'll stop singing. Everybody's now just caught into the gazing into the fire. They can do that with a candle, too. Just light a candle. In the old days, there was a lot of candle gazing. People don't do it much anymore. No candles. Who's going to gaze at a light bulb? <laughs> Burn your eyes out. <laughs> the other one was the water meditation, and Herman Hess wrote about that in his book, Siddhartha. 
to where Sedissa uh, wound up being uh, on, uh, the boatman listening to the river. Mm, yeah, I remember that. The river, okay. The water meditation. There's also sky meditations or air meditations that have given us things like astronomy and astrology and even weather. But in the old days, they were just stargazing all night. They didn't have anything else to do. Okay, and so their minds would go into all of these altered states because of um, uh, these objects. What the Buddha did was he turned things inside out. Uh, basically, no, it was the other way around. He turned the outside in. So that these four objects of meditation become four internal objects of meditation with the, uh, uh, the, the earth being the body, the emotions being the water, the fire being the mind, and the mental objects being the, uh, uh, the air, the clouds that float through the mind. And in those days, okay. smoke and fire were uh, connected more than they are now. Now we know the difference. <laughs> so Back you said the fire was, was what, internally? Uh Fire is the mind. Right. Why? Because the mind will create and consume. Our emotions are all over the place. They just wash us here and wash us there. And the body seems to be pretty solid. So, the basis of Anapanasati is these four foundations of mindfulness, Satipatthana. This is what the Satipatthana uh, are, and I just gave you a bit of history of why it's there. And so, uh, with that as an introduction, Anapanasati Sutta itself, then, um, is structured in such a way that it really gets one's attention. Um, it starts off by uh, that there's an announcement that the Buddha is going to be giving a talk at the next full moon. And so then everybody gathers. But it was almost like the gathering of the student body at a university with the various departments. <clears throat> um, the students were sitting with them so that the Buddha recognized that this teacher has 30 or 40 students and this one has 30 or 40 students, etc., like that. And this is also a sutta where it's really dropping a lot of names. Mahakachana, uh, 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 Sariputta, Mahamagala, Chana, many monks are listed there in the Anapanasati Sutta to show basically uh, the value and the worth and the importance of this sutta is nailed right off the bat that this is the entire uh, congregation of the University of Buddha <laughs> at that time. And so... Uh, then he talks about the various groups in that student body in the sense of there are monks here who um, have done the jhanas. Then he says there are monks here who have been doing the Brahma Viharas, including the Metta, Karuna, Mudita, Upeka. Uh, and in fact, in the Anapanasati Sutta, they're listed directly. And then he mentions that, on the other hand, or also, there are nobles here. There are nobles who have um, come to understand in depth the real teachings of the Buddha, the real Dhamma. And that all four of the um, groups uh, are represented in, in this congregation. And then he turns to Anapanasati and, and begins to say with that announcement that Anapanasati, if you practice it, will gain you great fruit, great benefit. And then he talks about some of those benefits in the sense of the four powers, or let us say the four bases of power. And the powers, in fact, are the words that I use quite a lot, and that is satisfaction, security, safety, uh, the feeling of being powerful. 
being strong, being capable of doing. And so this is what this Anapanasati uh, practice is literally about, is to transform the mind from the mind of a child into the mind of a fully grown, mighty warrior adult, mentally. So that's what the practice is all about. And this is why it actually is an issue about training the mind to take control. Because the child is a victim. The child wants mommy to help him. And the child does not like it a lot when school comes by and it says, no, you've got to learn the ABCs. Your mommy won't do it for you. <laughs> and we resent that. But this is a way of saying, no, I will indeed take control of my life because I want to, because I can, because not doing it is not uh, up to my, my scratch now. It's not up to my baseline. My, my, now that my standards for myself are raising higher and higher, I recognize in the old days I didn't stand up to my own standards. This is, in fact, on a side note, is one of the reasons why the Buddha recommends staying out of our own past. Is because our standards are higher now, and we're bound to find things that we don't agree with, and then we'll feel bad about it, thinking that that's me, when in fact it's not. You're a different person now. So stay out of the past. Okay. That's, in fact, why the past is understood to be the hindrance, the biggie, biggie hindrance of all is dwelling in the past, thinking about the past, longing from the past. Because, in fact, if you recognize somebody, for instance, just sitting in meditation, because they sat down for meditation with the idea that I'm going to stay here until the bell rings or the cow comes home or whatever, and then they start wanting something. They start thinking about it. In fact, one of the qualities that's well known is called the Vipassana Romance. Do you know about the Vipassana Romance? I don't know about it, no. Okay, well, uh, people go to a retreat. This guy goes to a retreat, and across from him over there is a cute-looking girl. So now he starts thinking about, when the end of this retreat, I'm going to go introduce myself, right? So now he's not doing uh, Vipassana, he's doing Romance. And there's going, okay? So every time he thinks about that girl, uh, and then she left yeah. before he got a chance to talk to her. And so now the rest of the retreat, it's um, him feeling bad. So the first half of the retreat, he wanted her, and the second half of the retreat, now he's, he's feeling remorse and uh, remorse because he didn't get what he wanted. But that's very common. It's a good story to tell because it's not just the girls at the retreat that we want. It's just everything that we can think of, especially yeah. if it's in the past. Every car you've ever owned will come up. Now, that may not be for the, your age, but someday there will be the point in where you can recognize, I've had 10 or 20 or 30 cars by now, and I miss every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Wish I had it back again. So, um, staying out of the past because it's a hindrance. In fact, the quality of the mind is really based upon understanding of what the hindrances are. And so next okay. time we'll talk a whole lot about the hindrances. And, and uh, um, But the important thing is... Um, to understand that more than likely, when you first remember to, uh, to watch the breath. Mm -hmm. Now, somebody will say, well, wait a minute, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch the breath for the rest of the hour, and then I'm going to forget about it, and then tomorrow or uh, the next session, I'm going to come back and I'm going to remember the breath, and I'm going to watch it, and then I'm going to forget about it. Mm, well, actually... What we're thinking about here is, is that that sitting down in seclusion is merely to get us started in the habit of watching the breath, because normally we don't. That most people, they say, will breathe somewhere around uh, 12 to 14,000 breaths a day. 
Okay, how many of them are you going to be mindful of? Well, first off, we need to find out how, what kind of breathing do we have normally because one of the things that is well known is that meditators over time, their breathing slows down so that they don't breathe at the rate of most people do, which is about uh, 20 breaths a minute. That's where you get that 14,000. But when you're down to less than 10 breaths a minute, now you're down to significantly less, down to maybe five or 3,000 breaths a day. So mm -hmm. now I'm saying you have ample opportunity to remember to come back to the breath because you're going to have quite a lot of them. I see. Because every breath that we take that's automatic, that's done by the reptilian part of the brain back in this area, uh, is probably a breath that's based in the emotional situation of that part of the reptilian brain at the moment. Which can be tired, it can be afraid, it can be shut down, it can be in all kinds of states because the whole point about uh, self-preservation is conservation. So the mind and the, uh, the frontal cortex and the breathing shut down quite often during, during the day. More, more educated people tend to be woken up more in their frontal cortex more often during the day. But uh, most of us spend between 5 and 10 to 15 percent of our day with our mind actually woken up. The rest of the time is half asleep. Yeah. And There's so, uh, also higher, like more activation in the default mode network and just like the part of the brain that just has patterns just without our conscious awareness just kind of like does the routine. Exactly. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take that routine at best, put it on steroids. Okay. Okay. We're going to take that routine away and we're going to start making it conscious so that more and more of the breathing that you do during the day is going to be conscious. More and okay. more of the breathing that you're going to do during the day, which means you have to wake up. You can also at that point in time change your uh, mental content from whatever it was, into this present moment. Right. Then we can also do the next one, which is the hard one, and that is to change our mental feelings and our mental frame of reference from being an ordinary human or even a, um, a loser or a victim into being a champion into being a winner with the can-do attitude. Basically, every time that you remember to come out of the, um, uh, the hindrances and take a deep breath, that's an affirmation, yes, I can do this. It's a simple process, but we need to get into the habit of doing it over and over and over again because we've been in the habit of doing nasty things our whole life. I see. And so now we're going to stop doing the uh, unwholesome and start doing wholesome things in our life. And this is part of the wake up. Okay, so this is basically um, uh, the sitting down and practicing Anapanasati has, has a major value to it. And that is, is that by being secluded from the outside world in general, and we close our eyes and we sit in a quiet place, that will keep the world itself from impinging upon us. It's, it's very difficult to do this kind of work while we're out in public, mm -hmm. out shopping, for instance. Grocery shopping and Anapanasati mix only when the person has Anapanasati firmly established. Before that, we need to get out of the grocery store and out of the bank and away from that stuff so that we can come to only dealing with remembering to keep the mind free from things that are not here now. Okay. So that's the basic practice. Now, this is a great fruit 
and that the Anapanasati practice follows the four foundations of mindfulness, and that each one of these foundations of mindfulness has four qualities to it. You could begin to say that, uh, and in fact, it's very handy for students to understand that two of them in each group are uh, for the beginner, and two of them are more advanced. Okay. An example of that would be that doing the long breath and then experiencing the body would be something that the beginner would do. Then later the short breath, working with the short breath and also working with the uh, relaxation of the body would be a more advanced. Same thing okay. with, the, uh, with the, uh, the feelings. That we begin to develop sukha and pity early but then later we begin to develop uh, the quality of uh, the deep dive and then to see the connections between the, the mind and the feelings. There's a connecting point. Um, uh, the mental conditioner is what it's called of how this stuff works. In the mind, the first thing that we want to do is to wake up, sati, gladden the mind, but then a little bit later, we work with freeing the mind as well as gathering the mind's factors together. Also, okay. in the last stage of Anapanasati, step 13 and 14 would be to see Anicca in the sense of watching the fact that we live in a turmoil. There is, I mean, <laughs> really, there is just so much going on all the time that we're missing out on. But we tend to then get, uh, we tend to catch on to a few things that are in turmoil. And then we get all upset about that turmoil and then missing out on a whole lot of other things we could get upset about in turmoil. Or the better thing to do is just let it all be in turmoil because you can't do anything about it except be upset. In fact, upsetness is kind of a turmoil all on its own. And so this is what we mean by anicca, and also we can see the calming process of bringing that down. So the anicca is what the mind is doing on a regular, constant basis that we're calling hindrances. It's like clouds that go floating through the sky. Okay. But the sky okay. itself is the mind in that way, or uh, the, the fire is like, uh, is it bright, is it dark, is it overcast, is it cloudy? What kind of condition is the mind in would be a way of looking at it that way. To where uh, Anicca means everything, whatever is in the mind, it's just floating through. And that we can bring that upsetness out of it the hindering part out so that it can fade away, can die away. Okay. And then the last part of it for the more advanced would be uh, the actual cessation or uh, the dying off and relinquishment of the complete letting go. But actually in the beginning, we do a whole lot of relinquishment. In fact, relinquishment happens in, in stages. And what I mean by stages is basically, in the beginning, relinquishing, we have to almost kind of throw it out, to throw it out, okay? Later, it uh, is really easy, kind of, the distinction between, let me see something, I'll get this, okay. Holding something like this and letting it go, it's still there. <laughs> but holding it like this and letting go and now it's gone so now it's a whole lot easier to do okay then okay, okay and then the third stage would be like r real relinquishment is when it, it, is, it didn't come back <laughs> it didn't come there's nothing to let go of <clears throat> so um, there are progresses to, to be made along with the path of Anapanasati. But that the primary understanding from it is, is that we're developing skills. Okay. And the skills that we're developing are named in the Eightfold Noble Path. 
And so this is how the Eightfold Noble Path with the Satipatthana work with Anapanasati. And so uh, the Sutta says that Anapanasati is actually practiced for the fulfillment of the Satipatthana. So that we really begin to take control over the mind. We take control over what objects are going to be there. We take control over the body. We take control over our feelings. We manage this thing as a unit, as a working machine, rather than a set of parts that don't work very well together. Mm-hmm. Okay? And then we practice Anapanasati for the fulfillment of the four foundations of mindfulness, so that we practice the four foundations of mindfulness for the fulfillment of the Sambhojana, the seven factors of enlightenment. Okay. Okay. Now, there's a, a confusion there because in the Satipatthana Sutta, in this part of the Satipatthana Sutta, it actually starts talking about the Eightfold and Noble Path. But in the Anapanasati Sutta, it's talking about for the fulfillment of the um, Sambhojana. Now, what we mean here is, is that the seven factors of enlightenment, the seven factors of actual awakening, are also these very skills that do need to be developed that are presented as the Eightfold Noble Method or the Eightfold Noble Path. So the Eightfold Noble Path or Eightfold Method, when it's practiced correctly, its fulfillment then is the Sambhojana, the factors of enlightenment. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Okay, if you can understand that, then everything seems to fit together because that's one of the big problems or confusions is what's the, why is the Sambhojana there at this point and why is it not everywhere else, okay? Everywhere else is because that's the method, but the fulfillment itself are now the, the, the it's no longer a method, it's the fulfillment itself. These are the factors, but guess mm-hmm. what? The first factor of the Sambhojana is Sati. <laughs> right. And what does that mean? It means that it's an enlightenment factor when it becomes unremitting. Okay. Unremitting means it keeps coming back and coming back and coming back and coming back. Okay, that's the quality of Sati. It keeps coming back. And in fact, it comes back when you need it most. That's why we're going to develop Sati and spend so much time working with Sati is because it becomes an enlightenment factor. If we can unremittingly wake up, then we can unremittingly investigate and do uh, one's right view to see what's going on, to know what it is, then one's right effort kicks in, but when at, at the level of, uh, of enlightenment factor, it's no longer effort, it's energy now. It's like the enthusiasm takes over from the effort. So, can I ask a quick question? Um, so, sati, that's what's commonly translated as mindfulness, but you had said that that's also, that maybe... Remembering to remember better to wake up to remember to wake up to remember are two ways of looking at it, but I'm meaning the same thing. The sati is it's like what is it uh, remembering exactly? Remembering to be here now, remembering to take a look, remembering to wake up. Okay, like the bed analogy, remembering that you're not just waking up to see that you're in bed, you're waking up enough to get out of bed. That's right. Okay, so in this case, we're waking up enough not just to see the hindrances or to see the ordinary mind, we're going to wake up enough to get out of it, to take that right effort. So sati and effort work together. But when sati becomes unremitting, then the effort becomes very easy. It, it too, is unremitting, but now it's no longer effort. Now it's energetic. Okay? Okay. And along with that comes joy. Okay? So the joy, then, would be the right attitude. And so now we've just covered 
in the seven factors of enlightenment, the first four of them are also the first four of the Eightfold Noble Path. And so then um, the next part of the sutta is, is that we practice then the seven factors of enlightenment, the Sambhojana, for the twin quality of knowledge and deliverance, or knowledge and freedom. Okay? An example of that is, is that when the prisoner finds the hole in the fence, and he knows his way out, he will plan for his escape. Does that make a good analogy to understand what we're meaning about knowledge and deliverance? The knowledge is the knowledge of the hole, and the deliverance is the getting out of getting the hole? Getting out, getting through the hole. Getting through the hole, okay. Okay, all right. So, um, or... Dukkha and Dukkha Naroda? Dukkha. Dukkha Naroda is, in fact, that knowledge, the knowledge to see the Dukkha, and then yeah. the, the Dukkha Naroda is to escape from it. You have to see it first, and then you can escape from it, all right? Right. Now, the word in English that is often equated with Buddhism for some reason or another is the word enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Though it's got nothing, the, the word enlightenment has nothing to do with Buddhism, and it never did. But okay. it's handy to use, <laughs> because some people have already put it in there. So let me give you now a definition of enlightenment. Enlightenment comes in two stages, and both of them are signaled by the word light. One kind of light means turning on the lights, daylight, looking with it, seeing what's going on, so we need light to be able to see. So knowledge requires the luminosity or the ability. In other words, uh, the gaining of knowledge requires the knowledge to be available. We have to be able to see the knowledge, and then we can gain it, okay? Okay. So that's, that's the, uh, the, the, the waking up or the light part of it or being able to see the dukkha. Then the deliverance side is uh, the uh, enlightenment using the word light as opposed to heavy, because normally our lives are heavy. When we see the heavy, we can drop it, and then we have both kinds of enlightenment going. But but enlightenment uh, comes in that order also, that we have to see it before we can drop it. And that the um, actual path of, of nobles, which I've just spoken about just a tiny little bit, uh, the path of the noble also has that quality of it in the sense that the sotapan is the one who has the knowledge. And then the higher fetters that are eliminated are actually uh, delivered from one after another after another of these fetters that are recognized through knowledge. Okay, so uh, gaining the knowledge of the Dhamma is what we need to do in order to uh, gain the full knowledge that is actually, it has three factors uh, that are eradicated. One is personality view, the other one is attachment to rites, rules, and rituals, which we call Silabhata Paramasa. And then third is about the doubt, and we can go into this quality of doubt, in fact all three of these on another occasion. I'm just mentioning to you this, because this is right there in the Anapanasati Sutta. This knowledge and deliverance, and that the whole path of the Buddha is set up in that order. That we get knowledge first, and then we figure out what to do about it. It's almost like that we go to school first, and then we're on the job. So it's a quite natural progress anyway. So, is this related at all to, I've read in like books and heard from talks that uh, awakening is when you have a mix of the the samatha and vipassana in the in the right amount where when you have enough samatha or samadhi i don't know if i'm using the right term and then you have insight into non-self then that's what awakening is 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 that similar to like seeing the dukkha being like the, the capability of seeing the dukkha to be like the samatha and then the dropping it to be like vipassana or no 
we slowly wake up to the understanding about the nature of self. It comes in, in pieces and fits and starts. It can happen over uh, the course of one or two talks, or it can happen after a talk and the student goes and reflects upon it and says, yep, that's right, and other things like this. Uh, but that's the number one issue. The number one issue is can we get the mind cleaned out enough so that we can take a good long look at what's really going on inside so that we can come to the conclusion that whatever's going on inside, it ain't me. <laughs> That's hard to come by because almost everybody is attached to me in the sense of personality. Mm -hmm. So this is what we mean. And, and in fact, it really doesn't have much of anything to do with either Vipassana or Samatha uh, from those who want to carry the banners of that in one way or the other. But rather it means more of having the mind fit for work so that we can come out of the hindrances and take a really good look at what's going on. And basically that taking a good look at what's going on needs to be done from a position or a, um, an attitude of satisfaction and curiosity, rather from um, either going deep or um, other things that I see a lot of meditators do. That they confuse these deep states with jhana. But in fact, what we're working in now is going in the direction of first jhana. Because the Buddha says that first jhana is the one that's liberating. If we can get ourselves into first jhana and stay there, then that's all we need. We do not need to become comatose. Okay. What we need is we need to be happy. We need to be liberated. We need to be able to control our feelings to the point that we can gather the factors together that are known as the first jhana factors, which we'll talk about next time. Okay. But for right now, staying with this overall view of anapanasati is, is that it's actually quite a complete practice. And that basically I've only given you just here and there a bit in peace. I've given you step nine and I've given you step 10 and basically step one but I've also been hinting at step um, five and six and we'll go into those a little bit later but also understanding that the mind the mind's normal condition is to be in a state of wandering yeah this is what we mean by in Nietzsche that Anicca is that the mind is in a state of wandering and that in a, in a way is a kind of restlessness. It's just wandering around. An analogy that the Buddha used at one time was that he saw a dog that unlike all of the other dogs that the uh, monks had around, uh, that this dog, when it would lay down, it wouldn't stay long. It would lay down, and then it would stand up, and it would circle around a bit, and then it would lay back down in the same hole that it had kind of gotten used to being in, and it wouldn't stay long, and then you get up, and it would walk around again, okay? And the Buddha says, that dog is your teacher, <laughs> because that's exactly how the human mind works. It cannot settle down, okay? So... This is what we're looking at is, is that we're, we are going to settle down. We are going to relax. We are going to bring the mind into a good state and keep it there rather than letting it wander around. So we're going to keep the mind in wholesome state because just a general wandering around is an unwholesome state for it to be in. So we're going to bring it to heal. Settle it down give it something that's really useful to do, like look at what's going on around you, inside and out. That's the here now, is what's going on right now. And it is vast. 
And the more you begin to pay attention to it, the more vast it appears to be. Especially if you don't focus on any particular object, but you just let things move, not in the mind, but let things move in your sensory awareness so that you're kind of aware of many things. Aware of your hands, aware of your legs, aware of your breathing, aware of your um, the feeling of the headphones and the touch of the cloth on the shirt. And if you're outdoors in a, in a garden, then visual is just very, very um, uh, complex with all of the mm-hmm. dancing of the leaves and everything. And so the, the world we live in is quite complicated and also in a state of anitra. And so we have this thing that's spinning in the mind, and then we have all of these sensory things. And the Buddha is saying, let's pay attention with a sharp, focused mind to all of this hullabaloo on the outside with through our senses rather than getting lost in the hullabaloo that we can manufacture within our own mind. And so that's a way of looking at it is, is that that constant flux, that constant activity of the mind is actually not very peaceful. It's not joyful. You can come up with all kinds of problems. That was actually a very, very difficult lesson for me to learn one time, but it was quite an insight. And that is, is that I can come up with more ideas than I will ever be able to implement. Okay. Ideas are easy to come by, but products, not so much. <laughs> and yet here we go, spending all of our time in ideas and ideas and ideas and ideas. And then we feel bad because we don't get it done. And we don't have to do any of that idea making. Because you're comfortable and happy without it. Your ideas haven't gotten you anywhere yet. So why have ideas, you know? Just be here now and enjoy it the moment. Moment by moment. And so the more often that we can bring sake in and bring it back to the here now, then the more opportunity we have to remember to be in this moment and to spend our time thinking about this moment and not thinking about what we used to be thinking about a minute ago or a moment ago. And this brings us into a state of relaxation, of peace, contentment, security. And so then if any fears come up, we can see them but not as fears in the sense of, oh, I'm afraid, but in the fear in the sense of, from this perch of satisfaction, I, I see that fear. It's nothing to me now. Rather than being consumed by it, that we become aloof to it or above it. This is, in fact, what we mean by the word supramundane, is to become above those things which keep us attached. Okay. So, this is how we begin to practice Anapanasati, knowing that it's got 16 steps, but that we're only really working with a few of them in the beginning. Number one, number nine, number ten, a bit of number six and seven, mostly six. That's, that six, by the way, is sukha. And also with number 13 in the sense of beginning to see these hindrances as hindrances, see this fog or this uh, perpetual motion machine as just a useless thing that we don't really need to be doing, that we can come back to the present moment and be more peaceful and joyful rather than letting that uh, thought machine go. And that happens... I mean, we're just getting used to it, but the whole the idea is, is to bring this practice into your life for every breath or for any breath that comes by, is to wake up and be here now. And so it's not just something that we do in meditation sitting on a cushion. This is a whole lifestyle change of waking up. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to um, do it in my normal everyday as well. I mean, it's only been a few days since we last spoke, but uh, that uh, 
Duca Duca Naroda has almost been like a mantra in my mind. Mm-hmm. It's been quite nice, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yes, with that as a mantra, not just as a sleepy mantra, but as a wake-up mantra. Yes, mm-hmm. to wake up, be on alert, see what's going yeah. on. And something that's been especially helpful is uh, sometimes in meditation, I, I feel like w- when I um, when I try to get in these states of just like letting go, it can be very tiring where I, I almost feel like I'm falling asleep. It doesn't feel like I'm waking up, right? It feels like there's just less happening. But I think last time you mentioned something about it's like a more of a curious, it's like opening to curiosity um, rather than just like letting everything uh, I don't even know what words to use, but it's more of like an energizing process rather than like a, a dying process. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Well, do you have any other questions or, or whatnot as we're progressing through? Um, I guess, no, that, that's mostly it. Uh, is there anything that you, I mean, I, after this conversation, I definitely want to go back and read like the... Uh, the Anapanasati Sutta. Um, is there anything else you'd recommend that I should listen to or read to? I, I've been watching a couple of your recorded talks as well. Um, I would recommend Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. Become okay. familiar with some of his stuff. One example would be Hunger and Happiness. You can Google Hunger and Happiness and it will get you actually to the BIA website where you can find all kinds of stuff. From Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. Okay, that sounds good. And then uh, last thing, I had signed up for a, an open awareness like one day retreat in a couple days in the style of um, um, it's like the Shinzen Young. Do you think uh-huh. that would be a good idea for something sure. like that, or just please sure? tell okay. me all about it? All right, great. I'll do that. Yes, I'm in for unity, not separation. Yeah, I just love learning about all the different techniques. I've, I've heard of, of him before. Actually, if you think of it that the Buddhist technique is Dukkha Dukkha Naroda, then everything else is just some teacher's invention of how to do that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Okay, thank you very much for your time all for right. taking my questions, too. I'd be really happy to hear you right after you finish that retreat. Yeah, of course. Okay, I'll, I'll call you in a few days. Thank you. Okay, see you. See you. Bye.